On September 30th, tracking device F1 departs from Ziegler in Germany. And a few hours later, Canning flies back from Barcelona to Birmingham. The next day, the 1st of October 2017, Canning can be seen on CCTV arriving at Unit 16 in the evening in the silver Mercedes and entering, carrying a white package, approximately one foot by one foot. He then departs, leaving the silver Mercedes parked there. There is conversation between Canning and Vickery throughout this period and into the 2nd of October, not included in the sequence of events schedule. This includes Vickery saying, ways crack, how you getting on your gonna head out this evening in truck. Bens are delayed and he doesn't want yo delay any further. Canning gives an update as to how far he is from his destination. On the 2nd of October, Canning drives a white half-ton truck to the farm in Somerset and buys with cash farm machinery which he tells the owner he plans to take to Spain for resale. He returns to Unit 16 in the evening and uses a forklift truck to unload a quantity of farm machinery. He then loads this onto a green lorry with an Irish registration plate, which he had manoeuvred into place earlier. At approximately 19.30, two unidentified males arrive outside Unit 16 in a grey Land Rover at Discovery and meet with Canning. They remain for about an hour, taking items from the boot of the car into Unit 16 before departing. At approximately 22.53, Canning departs in the silver Mercedes, having locked Unit 16. On the 2nd of October, the consignment was intercepted at Dover and found to contain cocaine and cannabis. The sequence of events document shows the events that took place thereafter, including the arrests of Martin Byrne, Daniel Canning, Vickery's wife, and a final series of telephone calls from Kavanaugh to Vickery. Before 7am that morning, the arrests took place of Martin Byrne, Daniel Canning and Vickery's wife, Nicola Connor. Vickery isn't home and as the others remain in custody, he goes to ground. Around midnight, calls are recorded from Kavanagh to Vickery's phone. The voice calls are short, three in total, and none longer than four minutes. An hour after the calls, just before 1am, Vickery is picked up at the Holiday Inn Express in Tamworth. But nobody knocks on Bomber's door. At Bourneville Lane Police Station, Canning tells police he's no knowledge about importing drugs and isn't involved in any conspiracy. He tells officers he's just started a new job as a long-distance truck driver and has never heard of Ebrex. When shown a photo of Gary Vickery, he says he's his brother-in-law and that they live just five minutes from one another. They'd many fallouts over the years, he says, but they like to fix cars up together. He doesn't know Martin Byrne, he claims, but says he does look familiar. When asked what he was doing in Unit 16 on the 14th of September, he says he was probably playing with a car or the forklift truck. He says he sublet the unit to two Polish men because he couldn't afford the rent. They keep vehicles there, he says. Everything found in the unit, he told the officer, must be theirs. But he could have touched things when he visited. The £1,500 found in cash at his home was from selling items and another £1,000 found in his wife Vicky's handbag in the hallway of their home was a gift for her to spend. 
He knew nothing of the iPhone found in his car or of a Blackberry, which he claimed he'd found two weeks previous, where he'd parked. Money in his bedroom had been the result of car sales, but he'd no receipts. During his first interview at Burton-on-Trent Police Station, Vickery said he knew nothing about drugs or a firearm and answered no comment to all questions asked. During a second interview, in the presence of his solicitor, he gave officers a prepared statement. In it, he said he knew Canning and Byrne, but insisted that the money, almost £200,000, found in his home, was savings that he'd earned through his car dealing business over 15 years. He knew nothing of tracking devices, a handgun or anything about Unit 16, he said. He hadn't heard of Ebrex and couldn't recall meeting anyone at the Arden Hotel by Birmingham Airport or removing a bag from a Ford Transit van there. Both men were released without charge as the NCA investigation got underway in earnest, forensically examining the communications, tracking devices and transport routes, as well as the items found during the searches. In Tamworth, bombers sat tight. 2017 had been a terrible year and everything had started to go wrong. The pressure being put on his cell structures in Ireland had come to a head when Gardy had burst into his weapons HQ at Green Oak Business Estate just as he'd landed an arsenal of guns for use against the Hutch faction. Declan Brady had been arrested along with three other key members of his operation. Brady had been his Mr Nobody for years but as soon as he was nabbed everyone was talking about him. He'd hidden in plain sight as a neighbour and as a businessman who nobody had considered anything other than ordinary. Brady was in his 50s and had a wife and family in Selbridge in County Kildare along with a girlfriend on the side but he'd managed to convince all around him that he made his money through transport. Some months before the Regency Hotel attack there had been a pretty pricey family wedding but Brady just looked like he'd been working hard and coining the profits of his lucrative logistics work. Five of the 15 guns discovered at Green Oak were primed and ready for distribution to gunmen for immediate use in feud attacks. Ten more were individually wrapped in plastic. It was a big haul to lose and Brady, Sean Ruth, Jonathan Harding and James Walsh had all been charged before the courts. The following April, the Estonian hitman Imre Arrakis had been arrested during a plot to kill Mago Gately. Phones had been seized during the arrest and a number of bombers' top men had gone to jail for their involvement in the logistics. The plan to kill Gately was supposed to be the perfect murder, with only Kavanagh and Kinnahan privy to the plans and their most trusted inner circle charged with carrying it out. Bomber had even sent over a car to use to drive north of the border where the target was living. Patter Keating had been tasked with creating the murder cell and he drove the car from Clondalkin to Belfast. He'd five trackers with them and one was placed on Mago's car. He'd tracked Gately's movements as Arrakis flew into Dublin. Arrakis had got six years and Keating, his chief executive, had got 11, while David Duffy got five, Stephen Fowler landed six and Douglas Glynn got six and a half years. To make matters worse, Bomber had no Sean McGovern to rely on as he'd been forced to flee to Dubai after the murder of Noel Duckegg Kerwin the previous December. Sure he was going to be arrested in relation to it. And his brother-in-law, Liam, had been forced to leave Dublin too after the Criminal Assets Bureau went after his home and his possessions. For months, Bomber had watched 
and waited, expecting to be picked up by the NCA for his role in the drug importation bust. But they'd never come through his door. He was clever enough to know he couldn't organise any more hits from his base in Birmingham. Such was the pressure on both sides of the Irish Sea. But he did see an opportunity in 2018 when a volatile criminal from Ballymun became hungry to avenge the murder of a relative, which he blamed on members of the Hutch faction. While Bomber was hamstrung himself, he could still supply the criminal with the weapons to take on Derek Coakley Hutch and days later his associate Jason Buddha Molyneux. For officers in Ireland who believed that they had finally stemmed the killings in the Hutch and Kinnahan feud, the double murders were a huge setback, but they quickly realised the complex gangland business arrangement that had been brokered. That summer, the cab case against the Byrne organised crime group had come before the courts, but when the state fought free legal aid applications, they'd folded and settled up, handing over Liam Byrne's house, along with McGovern's nearby property, and hundreds of thousands of euros in cars, currency and jewellery. By Christmas, Bomber was feeling confident again. He seemed to have gotten away with the drugs in Dover, and despite the arrests, the NCA hadn't come back near Vickery or Canning. Undoubtedly, they'd nabbed one load and traced it back to the premises at Unit 16, but he gathered that the investigation had fallen flat and they'd nothing on him or the others. He booked a holiday to Mexico and decided he'd put his troubles behind him and enjoy some sun and relaxation with the family. At approximately 8.50am on the 12th of January 2019, Thomas Kavanaugh was arrested at Birmingham Airport. The following items were seized. Cash from his person and suitcase in the sums of £500, €340 and $3,414. An iPhone in a black cover found in a bag. A BQ mobile phone case in his pocket. Officers conducted a search of his address at his home on the same date. In addition to being a gated property... Significant security alterations had been made to it. The doors and glass of the ground floor were heavily reinforced and of bulletproof construction. The following items of note were seized. £8,000 in cash found behind the cushions of a couch. £3,787 and €1,650 from a chest of drawers. A further bundle of Arab Emirates dirhams were found tied in an elastic band amounting to approximately £9,000. An additional €11,480 and £1,780 were found in seven handbags within the property. In total, therefore, approximately £33,900, €13,600 also found were multiple mobile phones and various documentation, including receipts. Kavanaugh was interviewed on the 12th of January 2019 and asked questions about his association with a number of individuals of interest, including Vickery, Canning and Byrne, Emmanuel Rosenzweig and various addresses. He was also asked about a gathering of these individuals at the Hyatt Hotel in December 2016, which Vickery had attended and indeed booked, about telephone contact with Vickery and various telephone numbers. He largely declined to answer questions on the basis that he had not had sufficient time to consult with his legal representative.
he would he would have been fairly confident getting off that plane that when we went and you know put our hands on him, he may not have hundred percent know knew what it was about, but he would have known that the devices that were were in his possession weren't going to link him to that particular event. Uh, he may not have known what um, other things were on his devices that could have linked him to other things, but um, as, as it as it went, um, they 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 didn't um, uh, uh, put him in a difficult position, and. Uh, yeah, he, he's pretty calm. He, he's a, he's he's not somebody that's easily ruffled. I think uh, you know people I've spoken to, you know, my team that have had face to face contact with him said, you know, he's um, he doesn't give a lot away. You know, he, he he's he's um, uh, puts on a uh, you know he's he's a strong character. He's been around law enforcement much of his life, um, and I think he's somebody that's used to. Um, being in a position of of uh, power and leadership and and uh, uh, being in control, and I suppose uh, it's more difficult for him the minute he starts losing control. And, and as Kavanaugh was being questioned, the search was continuing at his home in Tamworth. Amongst a series of up to thirty weapons found, many of which were under his bed, was a curious pink item which initially looked like a torch, but which turned out to be an illegal ten thousand volt stun gun. For police, it meant they'd a chance to get him into custody as they continued the enormous trawl of documentation and forensics in the drug case. One of the things that we also did prior to um, the, this coming to trial was to re- review the um, the proceeds of crime um, uh, opportunities that they were around the family. Uh, and we did a completely separate um, uh, uh, set of warrants uh, search warrants at the home address again, um, where we recovered a significant amount of um, uh, expensive uh, jewellery, expensive handbags, expensive shoes, expensive coats, trainers, uh, all things that we were able to get appraised at the scene because we took um, an asset recovery uh, company with us that, that could give us an, an accurate estimate of what this, the value of items was. Um, and then alongside that, we recovered, you know, store cards and store cards tell a story. Uh, store cards uh, in, you know, in various different places in the UK. And those are, again, those are all detailed investigations that the team will have followed up. Um, and those are store cards that would have been maintained by family members and, you know, um, you know what? Or, you know what? It, it will. Well, it does reveal is a huge amount of cash that's been spent in in some pretty high end stores. Is that so they could get the discount? I God knows. I mean, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm hopeless with store cards. They always say to me, "Test because you've got your card with you." And I've never have, um, or I've never got a card. But I mean, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing if you spend a um, hundred thousand pound on the store card, you're going to get some kind of benefit out of it, um, or more. But uh, you know, there's some certainly there's some interest in. Uh, investigations that have revealed some uh, quite startling uh, amounts of money spent in places. I, 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 you know, I've been in, I've been involved in law enforcement for, for for many years, and there would have been a time when uh, when I was a much younger uh, um, DC on a drug squad, maybe, and I'd be going into a uh, in someone's premises. If there was a thousand pound on the table, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd seize the thousand pound, bag it up, and, and that would be seized as, under the proceeds of crime or confiscation, as it may have been then. Um, but if there was a thousand pound handbag, I'd have left it there. And I think it's just a slightly different mindset. It's, it's understanding what criminals do with their cash and what criminals, you know, have, what they spend it on, and then working out that there's actually a value to those items still. They may have been bought for a thousand pounds, but it can go through a specialist auction and it can still 
it can still realise a value of five hundred pounds. So you can you can start clawing back some of that money that you know all the reasons that they're they're you know conducting criminality is so they can they can buy nice things, all the things that everybody else works really hard to to be able to obtain and save for. Maybe um, they they go out and buy for cash. And, uh, and I think it was a slightly different mindset and a twist. In, in you know, We started looking at people's premises in a slightly different way. And um, when we were walking in and seeing different, you know, weird coloured trainers or a, uh, a, Mon- a Montclair coat hanging in, hanging in the hallway, we, we'd think, well, that's a £1,000 coat. Let's take that with us because there's value in it. Um, and I, it's just different. It's just a different way of looking at it now. So did you ever think during your career you'd know your Chanel from your Gucci? <laughs> I did. I didn't when I first started, but I've kind of. I'm starting to learn my Chanel for my Gucci. But you can, I, I can. You can say this on the record. I've never bought a Chanel or a Gucci coat myself, or, or clothes, or anything. But uh, yeah, I, I kind of. I, I can. I recognise quality goods now, and I think uh, it, for me, it's as important as seizing drugs has been able to strip assets and wealth from the people that we're investigating, because those are the things that outwardly visibly the community and the people around them see it's that it's those you know those expensive pieces of clothing and items that they they sort of um display when they're down clubs and pubs and wherever they may be um that other people see and those are the things that we want to take back off them really while he was released without charge a case was brought against him in relation to the weapon and a trial was set for july 2019 Stoke-on-Trent Crown Court then heard that Kavanagh claimed the gun had been bought by one of his sons during a school trip to China, but that he had confiscated it. But his story didn't wash and Judge Paul Glenn told him that the law was clear and that stun guns were prohibited. Kavanagh faced five years, but the judge said he'd good qualities and while having a criminal record of enormous concern up to 2001, he'd since made strides to put his past behind him. The judge said he wasn't taking into account the then unproven incidents against Kavanagh, nor was he paying heed to stories that appeared about him in the press. The list of legally held weaponry, including knives, axes and batons found at Tamworth, was read out to the court and details that he had been given an Osman warning by police the previous year, that there was a real and immediate risk to his life. His barrister, Alistair Webster QC, told the judge that it was after the warning that he had taken steps to secure his home. He said that his client had rebuilt his life in the UK after leaving Ireland and that he was a businessman running a reasonably successful business buying luxury cars and exporting them principally to the Republic. But he told the judge that his livelihood would be lost if he was jailed. Justice Glenn said Kavanagh, a father of six, had a significant criminal career in the past, but he said there was a gap until he was handed a a suspended sentence for tax fraud offences in 2017 for failing to declare taxable income and supplying fake payslips to secure a mortgage. He handed him a short jail term, telling him, it's a stun gun, a prohibited weapon. It can be very dangerous in the wrong hands. It's capable of emitting a nasty shock, but not of a more significant or fatal injury. On the 28th of November 2019, Kavanaugh provided a prepared statement via his legal representatives, ahead of a scheduled further interview on the 10th of December 2019. This statement purported to provide answers to a number of questions put during his first interview. In that he declined knowing Canning, Byrne and Rosenzweig, he said he knew Vickery through the car trade. 
they both having sold cars to a company in Dubai, and that Vickery had bought a Range Rover from him. He denied any criminal contact with him. He denied knowing any of the companies mentioned to him, but accepted being at the Hyatt Hilton to celebrate his father's 83rd birthday. Vickery made the booking. He said all his means of expenditure arose from legitimate income from dealing in cars. During his interview on the 10th of December 2019, his legal representatives read out a further prepared statement on Kavanaugh's behalf, which dealt with a sequence of events following his client's arrest, disclosure, and indicated that he had advised Kavanaugh that he should not answer questions, but would reflect upon them and then give you any appropriate answers in due course. From the questions that had been put to him during arrest, Bomber knew there were texts and emails and that he had been placed at the very top of the drug structure. He knew that it wasn't only the one seizure that was at stake, but an enormous 23 shipments of numerous drugs worth between 15 and 20 million pounds on the street. He was facing a huge sentence, anything up to 25 years. The realisation hit him and the mighty bomber crumbled, requiring medical treatment. It was a joint operation, he was told, by the Gardaí and the NCA, and the wealth of evidence was as merciless as his own decisions in the past. He'd aligned with Daniel Kinahan to avenge the death of his brother-in-law and to lay down a marker of their power. Kinahan had run to Dubai, but Bomber had stayed put to oversee the cruelties, the killings and the all-important shipments. Like chess players, they decided who would live and who would die. And as his empire fell apart, he could see his mistakes. He'd become too emotionally involved. He wondered if there was more to come. Was it possible that he'd been linked to any of the seven murders and attempted assassinations that he'd planned? When would he see home again? We had that location, um and we had individuals that we could see through uh, observations at those locations. There was never an occasion where Thomas Kavanagh um, was at those locations, and there was never an occasion that we subsequently found when we looked at the telephony that the, we could we could evidence um, uh, his movement to those locations through the movement of his phones or any of the criminal devices that we had, both criminal and other devices that he would carry with him uh, you know, habitually uh, and never uh, were we able to show um, uh, his movement of his vehicles to that location. So um, he, he was pretty cute. He's pretty canny. He good. What we would, we would sort of say it was good criminal tradecraft. He was, you know, he's a, an experienced uh, criminal um, with knowledge of law enforcement tactics. And he employed all of the operational security that he thought would keep him safe and keep him at arm's length from what we could do uh, and the kind of case that we could build around him and, and link him to that criminal activity. Unfortunately for him, um, th there were mistakes made and um, and we were able to capitalise on those and and uh, get the result we, we, we later did at court. In summary, Vickery and Canning have been arrested on the 3rd of October 2017, appeared at Cannock Magistrates Court on the 10th of January 2020. Canning indicated not guilty pleas to all matters in respect of the drugs and money laundering counts. Vickery indicated TBC.
Kavanaugh, having been arrested on the 12th of January 2019, first appeared at Stafford Magistrates Court on the 27th of March 2020, where he gave no indication in respect of pleas. He was sent to Ipswich to be joined to the adjourned Vickery and Canning. On the 6th of July 2020, the defendants were arraigned and entered guilty pleas to court two conspiracy to import Class A drugs, cocaine, and court three conspiracy to import Class B drugs, cannabis. In addition to that, Canning pleaded guilty to count four and count five, possessing prohibited firearms and possessing ammunition. All parties also entered guilty pleas to the money laundering charges relating to cash found during the searches of the person and or properties. All parties accepted that they fall within the category of leadership role, the hierarchy being Kavanaugh, Vickery, Canning. Vickery sat immediately beneath Kavanaugh in the operation and above Canning. He was directed by Kavanaugh and in turn directed Canning in some instances relaying instructions from Kavanaugh, in some instances instructing Canning directly. Vickery had a relationship with Kavanaugh dating back to at least 2016. He, together with Canning, managed the operation on a day-to-day basis. This included receiving and taking possession of the drug importations from mainland Europe, unloading drug deliveries, reloading the machinery with sums of cash for payments in exchange for wholesaling drugs. Involvement in adapting and converting the industrial machinery used for the concealment of drugs and cash. This involved sourcing materials, including paint, screws and tape, using these to convert the units. Vickery additionally arranged for the acquisition of GPS trackers to follow the movement of the vehicles used to transport the drugs and cash. Vickery followed instructions from Kavanaugh, directed Canning's numerous trips to mainland Europe, mainly Spain, during which Canning met contacts for the purchase and receipt of wholesale Class A and B drugs. It follows that Canning, albeit sitting beneath his co-defendants in the operation, also occupied an organisational role very near to the top of the chain. Kavanaugh sat at the top of the operation, His basis of plea asserts that he joined the conspiracy at a later stage than Vickery and Canning. It is nevertheless clear from the communications that he was their superior. Both referred to him as Gaffer, and the daily running of the operation by Vickery and Canning was conducted at the behest of Kavanaugh. The security measures and general standard of living and cash at his address also point to him being higher in the chain. Kavanaugh, Vickery and Canning were ordered to stand and Judge Martin Levitt eyed them from the top of the court. Kavanaugh smoothed down his suit. He was once the most powerful crime lord in Ireland, a man who oversaw a massive drug mob which engaged in two murderous feuds. But that was all over now and all that was left for Justice Martin Levitt was to dole out his justice to conclude the fall of Bomber and with him, a carefully constructed empire built on murder and on greed. Few were there to see the end of his brutal reign, but many would rest easier now that he was locked up, including those who worked tirelessly for over three decades to nab him. I knew it was going to be a long sentence. With impeccable English manners, the judge explained why he had to give him an appropriate sentence for his crimes. 
He didn't pull any punches and from the off indicated that he was considering between 20 and 30 years for the head of the sophisticated drug operation. It was clear there would be no easy ride for any of the three men in the dock. Detailing the various charges facing the trio, Justice Levitt opened by pointing out how Gardee had been central to the demise of Kavna and of his cronies. He told the court that a search in Dublin in January 2017, which was conducted by officers from the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau, netted the key to blowing open the operation in the UK. Aggravating factors considered during sentencing, the judge said, included the successful nature of the drug importation carousel and the fact there had been multiple imports within a year. 23 in total were considered by the court. Justice Levitt said that the fact that a business had been used as cover, machinery had been transformed to carry drugs and cash and go undetected from customs x-rays, the very substantial gains, the high purity of the cocaine seized and the significant effort that went in to avoid detection all went against the men. Each played a leading role, the judge said. Each played that role in purchasing the drugs on a commercial scale and each had close links with the original source of the chain. From the sums of money found, it's clear that there were substantial financial gains. While Kavanagh's barrister asked for a 33% reduction in sentence for his guilty plea, he was only given 20%. The time he'd already served on the firearms charge since September 2019 was not taken into account. The judge sentenced him to 27 years, reduced to 21, with eight and two years to run concurrently. He told him, He'd serve half and would then be released on licence back to the community and that a proceeds of crime case will follow immediately. He said that Kavanagh would have to list all his assets all over the world and submit that to court where it will be heard next year. Canning, with no previous convictions, was next to be sentenced. He was given 18 years for the drug offences, reduced to 14 and a half years with eight and one year concurrent for other counts, including the money laundering. A further five years for a weapons conviction brought his total sentence up to 19 and a half years. Gary Vickery must have known what was coming, having seen the fate of his pals. Standing in the middle of the two, he was handed down 20 years on drug offences, with a further eight and four years concurrent. Your total is 20 years, he was told, which you will have to serve half of and then the rest on licence. This reflects the seriousness of these offences. All three will have to detail their assets to the courts by May, with the case up for mention in October 2023. As they were led away, Bomber chatted briefly with Vickery, the man listed as his direct subordinate in the operation. Then he blew a kiss to Joanne through the glass partition. Canning, whose phone messages led to the others in the group, never spoke throughout the proceedings, nor as he was led away. Mr Kavanagh didn't say a lot. Um, you know, he was pretty disciplined. Um, but he did make one comment. He just said to one of the guys towards the end of this job, um, when's all this going to stop? That's the only thing he said. And uh, the bottom line is it's not. You know, that's you know that our, our job is all about um, keeping the pressure up, looking for ongoing opportunities and making sure that... Um, everybody around him or connected to them um, are brought to, brought in front of the court for whatever it is that we can demonstrate they've been involved in. I mean, this is an investigation which has been running for years. You've had, it, you've had embedded officers on this investigation um, for in excess of um, 
five years. And that's all, this is the only thing they've done. They've just literally, day in, day out, they've been on this investigation. But I think when you've got a, a compelling reason to keep going uh, and, and uh, you're not going down a blind alley, you, you are making some significant progress and there is an opportunity here to um, put somebody behind bars for a significant period of time who's been a, a thorn in the side for law enforcement for many years. And not, not only that, but as somebody that has been involved in the most serious violence over that period of time as well. Uh, it's got to be money well spent. You know, you can't really put a price on that, I don't think. Uh, for me, it's just, just professionally proud, really, to be part of a team. I've had the um, the resilience to stick with it, if I'm honest. You know, there's, there's a couple of investigators that aren't on this call um, that have um, literally um, lived this case for the last six years, and they've been the backbone of the investigation. They're the ones that um, have, you know, done the long hours and and to be honest it's one of those jobs that doesn't come along um, all the time yeah, it's a great investigation it's a it's a really challenging investigation it's, it's you know it's drawn on lots of experience that I've had from other jobs um, and and maybe scratch my head lots of times um, but really pleased to get over the finishing line and uh, yeah not it's not the finishing line for the whole thing but certainly in terms of Mr. Kavanagh, um, he's not going anywhere for, for a little while, and um, we're 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 happy with the result that we've got. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Listener.